Welcome to episode 195 of The Sleeper and the Bust. I am Paul Spohr, joined on a Tuesday by Mr. Eno Saris. Eno, how are you today? I'm good. About to buy my tickets for spring training. Uh, so excited about that. It feels like baseball might actually happen this year. It's going to be great. I mean, it's coming. I'm actually going to buy my tickets this week, too. I might, well, might as well just look into that tonight myself. Why not get it mm-hmm. done? And, uh, and we will be meeting up, rendezvousing in Phoenix. You will have the labor, and we will all have spring training. Or no, you'll- I actually even saw some live baseball yesterday. I, I went and saw uh, Cal beat the crap out of Stanford with a first-inning grand slam. But it was like 70 degrees, and my two-year-old is just running around in the grass. And I was like, damn, this is what ba- baseball is all about. You know, other than the fact that the players weren't that good. Well, yeah, yeah, and that, that's part of it, you know. I even go to as many UT baseball, uh, University of Texas baseball games as I can. And even there, you know, they're, they're a pretty good program, but you're still seeing guys that, ugh, you know, their opponents, especially if I go on a weekday, uh, a Tuesday game, as it were, the the, yeah. the players, the, the opposition isn't usually very good. And then even, you know, good half of the roster for UT is, is guys that are good at baseball, but definitely nowhere near elite. And you get used to watching Major League Baseball and having a, an expectation set. Yeah. But we are getting much closer. We're, you know, we're in the middle of February. That 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 felt distant when we were in the throes of December. So we're getting there. News is starting to trickle out. Guys are reporting, et cetera, et cetera. Another slow news day. It's about our, I think, our fourth podcast in a row with slow news. That'll soon change. Uh, we'll get to a point where we'll have big news, you know, throughout, or, or at least a bunch of little news bits. But we do have a few pieces that I want to get to. First, Masahiro Tanaka played some long toss, and obviously he's dealing with that elbow issue that many believe will eventually result in Tommy John surgery. And so he's he's a bit of a, a, a nervous guy to invest in. I want to know how you feel about Tanaka this year, because obviously we know the upside is substantial. But, and I think you've used this phrase, too. He's either a, a what, a, a two-inning or a 200-inning guy. He either comes out does it and, and it's not a go or maybe he, he lasts the whole way. Now, obviously it's not one or the other, but it feels like you're kind of making that investment. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I guess, yeah, obviously he could pitch for a little bit and then, and then grab his elbow. But um, I guess Wainwright, you know, managed, uh, you know, a, a couple of seasons. Um, and, uh, and so, so could Tanaka. I just, it's sort of like the, the hammer of doom. The way that I ended up, what I ended up doing with him on my keeper leagues was just keeping him because I, if I sold him, it would be for not much. Yeah. And um, and a lot of my keeper leagues, like in Autonew, I have him a couple times at like 20, 25 bucks, and I it's a little bit expensive, honestly. But you know, you keep him, and if he ends up having the surgery, then you cut him, you know, or you or you consider like, okay, will I keep him for a full year? Maybe you know, maybe he'll be better off after that. Maybe I, the the cloud have, will have lifted. Exactly. But, any case, I, I I'm taking sort of a short-term approach with him, and if you can buy him, you know, as a as a third pitcher, then you're talking about a guy, you know, who could be an ace for you this year and and and, and cost third pitcher price. If you're buying him as a second pitcher, I still kind of like it. If he's your first pitcher, I hope you're you know picking your first pitcher in like the eighth round. Yeah, exactly. In the late round and maybe a shallow league where you can easily kind of 
cover it if things go awry, you know, a 10 team mixer and you just pound it on offense, 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 offense. And you say, you know what, now I'm going to go for some gambles with the pitching. And if not, I'll, I'll try to stream my way to victory. That would be a spot where you could really uh, invest in somebody like that. So I rated him 35th on the Rotographs rankings. Consensus had him 32nd, so I'm pretty much right there. The high end was uh, Jeff Zimmerman at 13. The low end was Podhorzer at 58. So there's a wide range, and it kind of builds. It kind of shows you both the upside and the risk. I don't think if there was a clean bill of health, I think Podhorzer uh, would freely admit that he'd have him much higher. I know I would. I'd have him a good at least 20 ranks higher. But if he had a full clean bill of health and would have been able to finish out last year, he probably would have played himself into a top 10 guy. That's that's how great he looked at his best. Uh, I'm certainly hoping that he escapes with, with no trouble here, but uh, I'm definitely nervous. Yeah. Sticking in New York, uh, they, have a, they have a guy in the bullpen for the Mets, Bobby Parnell. Missed the season last year, Tommy John. Going to start the season on the DL probably for the first two, three weeks. This is good news for Henry Mejia, who I actually believe could uh, you know benefit from this in that he could do so well that he just holds the job. I think that, that is, there's a situation where he just grabs hold of it first two weeks, no need to mess with bringing Parnell back into it because I think Mejia is pretty good. How do you value somebody like Henry Mejia after his one year as a closer? You know, I actually kept Mejia in a couple leagues, um, you know, where it was a little bit dicey and I wasn't sure what to do. And I thought exactly this would happen, that Parnell would have every reason to take it slowly. Um you know, I did some research on Danny Salazar. Danny Salazar told me that the Indians have pretty much almost like a 13-month um, hard hard return date. Okay. Uh, uh, on Tommy John, where they just want they want guys to take as long as possible. They they really don't want to rush anything. And then, so I looked at some of the outcomes, and it wasn't definitive or anything, but it looked like the outcomes were better for guys that waited a little bit. So it's it's one of the reasons why I think Harvey's a decent bet this year. But it's also one of the reasons why I thought Parnell would miss some time. And then, you know, inertia is a B, you know, inertia is just inertia. <laughs> inertia keeps people is in a B. If we titled <laughs> episodes, it would be titled inertia is a B. <laughs> well, I'm trying to keep it. No, I, I love it. Inertia is, in fact, a B. <laughs> Continue. I'm sorry. But uh, it, I mean, he, I think, did well last year. I think you pitched through a, a hernia and some of the problems he had last year might have been attributed to that hernia. And so if you ask me if I think Mejia can be a closer, I, I think so. He's Yeah, I mean, I think Mejia can be a closer. He's got the, the trademark stomp. He's got the hair. You know, and, <laughs> I mean, all jokes aside, he's got he's got velocity. He's got strikeout rate. And he has more pitches than Parnell. So you could actually make a case for him being a better pitcher than Parnell. I mean, Parnell has better command and, you know, more of a track record. But, you know, Mejia's also under team control for longer. And even if Parnell comes back and maybe takes some saves from him, if the team is languishing and, and doesn't, play up to expectations this year, I could see them easily putting Mejia back in the role near the end of the season or even trading Parnell. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely going to go ahead and bet on Mejia. Uh, th this gives me more confidence. I was already kind of in on him because I felt similarly to you with regards to Parnell's going to miss some time and then he could just kind of keep uh, – Mejia could just kind of keep the job. So that, that's the way I'm approaching it. You know, NL only, maybe you could throw a buck on Parnell if you're really specking for saves deep. But I'd probably just leave it alone altogether. It, it would take a pretty deep league for me at that end. Uh, and then one AL. Well, I mean, I oh, sorry, go the ahead. Idea. I, well, I mean, the only thing I want to say is I like the idea. I like stashing guys on DL. So if you're talking about sort of bench slots, even in a mixed league, I might take him. If I had taken a, the, the approach you described, sort of specking on saves, 
I might take him for a bench slot even in a mixed league because then I can stash him on my DL and it's like, hey, maybe I have some saves later. In the meantime, I have spring training and I have an empty roster spot and I'm just waiting for you know some closer to hurt, get hurt or Soriano to sign or or uh, K Rod to sign. Mm-hmm. You know, you know. So there is, I think there is there is some love in, for me in, in Parnell on the DL. Like if you can sort of slot in the DL slot. Yeah. So if you've got those set DL spots. Definitely consider him there. If you're working with a light bench and he would take one of those bench spots, be a little bit careful. Uh, That's another guy who I'm really interested in because I've always liked him, but I'm nervous based on what happened. And that's Alex Gordon. He had wrist surgery. He's close to throwing and and having batting practice. He's never been a stud um, from a fantasy standpoint. He just kind of is a do do a bit of everything sort of guy, Uh, you know, better in OBP leagues, you know, solid power, decent speed. Run scored a lot because he's usually batting near the top of the order. He's been a he's been a stalwart playing 151 uh, or more games each of the last four years. But he's gonna be 31 now and he's coming off a wrist injury. How do you feel about Alex Gordon coming into this season? Yeah, I'm a little bit nervous. Zimmerman did some research that suggests that arm and and wrist issues are much much tougher on pitch on hitters than than legged issues. So. It's part of the reason why I'm not as worried. I mean, Miguel Cabrera, the body is worse um, in some ways. You might be more nervous about him. But he played so well through his injury and I think better than Gordon did through his injury. And um, it was a leg injury. So with Gordon, it's 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 something that is going to be involved in every swing. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you see anything in the spring about him taking it easy or if he's not playing a lot and he's not leading, you know, he's not – near the top 10 or top five in, in plate appearances in the spring. That says to me that they're, they're, they're taking it really slowly with him. And they, they just want him ready for opening day, which means he might not be ready for opening day because he might not have gotten the reps. He, he might not be fully healthy. So, you know, the, the downside for Gordon is pretty low in terms of fantasy. As much as we can like him in real life, the downside for him is a 260 batting average, 10 homers and 10 stolen bases, or even eight stolen bases considering his age. And, if he does that this year, then he's just, I mean, an unmitigated fantasy bust. I mean, there's no other way around. Yeah, because it. it's just not special. He already is a guy who kind of needs to compile and 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 give you those volume uh, bits across the board to really impact your team. So if he's if he's missing time and and the power sapped a little bit, it could be some trouble. So. I'm probably staying away from him for the most part. I ended up, it looks like I was one of the lowest ones on him in the composite rankings at outfield. In fact, uh, Mike Podhorser was just one slot lower at 32, where I was at 31. Consensus had him at 24. So I'm kind of backing off of him a little bit. If I see something that that suggests that he's going to be all right coming into the season, then I'll be more willing to invest because this is a guy I've always liked. But right now I'm, I'm tapping the brakes. All right, you know, I want to jump into an article that you wrote today, you know, because one of the things as we've been releasing the rankings and we re- released the top 300 today to go with the positional rankings, uh, one of the questions we've gotten is where the heck are Eno's rankings? And you explained at the beginning of uh, of your piece today that you've just been busy prepping, traveling, interviewing, transcribing, writing up those interviews with ballplayers, Fangraphs Plus, and you didn't even mention your family, which is, uh, uh, you know, a <laughs> wife and two kids, right, or just one? Uh, two, two children. Two, yeah, that's two. what I thought. So you didn't even mention that uh, in addition to all your work. So it's understandable why you weren't able to kind of get in on the rankings. However, you went ahead and used this opportunity to talk about some of the upper end guys, kind of those guys in the top 
hundred or so of the consensus uh, for pitchers that you're interested in, that you really like, maybe whether you're comparing it to steamer or consensus. So I want to go over some of these pitchers, have, give you a chance to even deep dive a little bit further. We'll start at the top with a stud, Mr. David Price. They, uh, steamer has him at, at, at nine. Uh, our consensus rankings have him at seven. Talk to me about David Price because this is a guy who, uh, you know, you can see him go as high. I've seen him go as high as the fourth pitcher off the board after Kershaw, Felix, and Sale. I think he's in that range where he can go kind of four to ten, depending on your feeling. As you mentioned, uh, he's got seven ranking at the uh, at RG. So how do you feel about him? I think the consensus did pretty well. I mean, I, I just I would be really happy if I was looking to get a top ten pitcher and Price and I just waited you know, on that top tier and then Price and Kluber fell to me, you know, that that would make me feel pretty good. Um, you know, I would have missed out on Darvish and, you know, Strasburg and Scherzer and Kershaw, but I, I would feel like I got a guy who belonged in that, in those, in that tier. Exactly. So, and actually, and I think I would put Price over Kluber and I would put Price over you and I would put Price over Granke. And the reasoning for that is, uh, for Kluber, you know, as much as I like the fact that he ditched his four-seamer and went to his two-seamer, that's been a big part of his success, sure. his, his two-seamer is not that great, exactly. actually, in terms of results. So it's, you know, I think he got a little lucky on the two-seamer. We might see a few more homers because, uh, and he had high high batting average on balls in play in the minors. I think that was related to being sort of a bad fastball guy. He's not a great fastball guy. So um, that makes me nervous compared to Price, who's a great fastball guy, maybe coming off a peak, a little bit, Older, but you know, still 93, 94, uh, pretty, pretty successfully. You know, you Darvish is is definitely. I've talked about how he's um, an injury risk for the slider usage, the command issues, the the past injury issues, and I think Zach Greinke, even though some of his injuries were Carlos Quentin caused, um, I think uh, he strikes me as a bit of an injury risk himself. Um, and uh, I, I think the hardest time I'd have is between Greinke and Price, just because Greinke is in the National League. Um, things are going to be easier on him. He, he'll pile up the wins just like Price. Uh, I don't know who has is going to have the better infield, uh, but um, you know because Rollins is getting a little bit older. Mm-hmm. I like I I really you know people say that the workload scares them with Price, but you know Zimmerman just did a piece on on Bumgarner's workload and how pitchers with four thousand pitches didn't necessarily do any worse in their projections the next year. So uh, I'm not too worried about the workload. I think the infield is only going to get better. And I really like the fact that David Price threw all those change-ups last year. It's a healthy pitch, gets him a lot of whiffs, you know, can give him more strikeouts in the future, I think. Yeah, I, I, I love Price. And I, w- I had that same dilemma that you're talking about with Grinky, And I actually leaned toward Grinky at 7. But that's 7-8. Actually, that's 6 through 9 because I have Sale at 6, Darvish at 9. Those four are really tough. And, and I think it's just kind of – how are you feeling that day, you know, in terms of how you're going to draft them? So I, I totally understand you going to the mat for Price. And you mentioned that the defense could be better, and you mentioned this in your piece. Jose Iglesias returning, if he's fully healthy with after the shins, then all of a sudden they have a, a star defensive shortstop after running out a bunch of not great stuff there in Detroit. <laughs> I mean, it, Andrew Romine. Um, I think they did a fan of the game for a couple weeks where they just brought a fan, you know, from a certain section of the, of the stadium in to play shortstop. It was bad situation for Detroit. What's that? You watch them. You watch them. Uh, for one, I think that maybe a a better shortstop could help Castellanos, but you know, Castellanos is 22, supposedly defense peaks early, but 22 is still really young. 
What do you think about his glove, and can it, can, can it improve? I actually think it can improve. I think he got better actually within the season across the board, whether we're talking about his defense or his offense. I thought you started to see a guy who really got comfortable with being a professional player, and it, might, it didn't necessarily show up in the numbers. I don't think he took a big September OPS, or I don't think if you look at his month-by-month -month, uh, fielding data, which would be bad because even yearly fielding data is suspect, so you wouldn't want to parse it too much. But I really think you saw a guy who got more and more comfortable comfortable out there and I think somebody like Iglesias can definitely help him not just because he'll be covering some of his mistakes but I think he can actually be more of a, an instructor to him and just say hey no you position here because I can cover x y and z and so he, he can get better think about this the one thing when he was coming up from the minors for Nolan Arenado was this guy can hit but he sucks at defense people were saying he sucks at defense not that he was shaky or or league average that he was flat out bad and look at him now he's one of the best defenders and I'm not saying that that's going to happen to Castellanos but to your earlier point about how you could be still young enough to improve even though it does peak early because of the speed and agility you can get better and I think somebody like Castellanos will get better the left side of that Tigers infield will be better and I think it's going to help guys like Shane Green Anibal Sanchez of course Verlander and Price and and possibly even you know Alfredo Simon Maybe I'm just wishful thinking on that last one, though, because I really don't want Alfredo Simon to tank my favorite team's hopes. Let's talk <laughs> about your next guy. Well, you know, something that just occurs to me just looking at the sort of David Price area, and I've, and I've sorted the, the, the Rotograss rankings for your rankings because it, it, I think it brings uh, the right group up, and, I, and, I, and I, I find myself agreeing with you a lot. Um, the... What I really like to do is get two out of the sort of top 15. Mm -hmm. And uh, for me, that that would end up, and I'm looking at you, that would end up being something like David Price and Johnny Cueto, um, you know, Jordan Zimmerman and Cole Hamels, uh, you know, Cole Hamels and you Darvish, Bumgarners, you know, with Samarja sort of representing the, the teetering point between what I think there's a bit of a, a, a tier there. Um, so I wonder... Would you, uh, you know, I guess my next guy that I like is DeGrom. And, um, you know, I guess I can't, I, I love him a lot and I would push him up, but I, I can't, you, you put him at 20 and I'm not sure I can push him all the way into that, you know, ahead of Samarja and into the Bumgarner tier. I don't think that, you know, I would consider getting DeGrom an ace necessarily. Yeah, I had, I had the same battle there where I wanted to say, I wanted to be, make it clear that I was in on DeGrom. You know, I believed in what he did. I love the deep arsenal uh, and the command of it, the fastball, really impressive. But 20 was the highest I could really see myself going because, you know, okay, maybe maybe you can flip him with Carrasco since Carrasco didn't do it necessarily all season. But I still think the, the perfect world upside of Carrasco is still higher. So I agree with you that I love kind of getting two guys – in that first chunk of 15 and ideally toward the back end of it, you know, Jason and I drafted Kershaw, but in, a, in normal situations, we don't often go for guys like that. So I would love a pairing, like you mentioned, like that Zimmerman Hamels or Zimmerman Samarja. That would be great. Can't get DeGrom quite all the way up there, but he's right there. So maybe, maybe you, maybe an offensive player slips to you when you were about to take Hamels and you're like I can't pass this guy up I don't know who it would be maybe a maybe a Puig maybe you're in a league full of Puig haters or something because I've seen him go super high and what I would consider super low which is third round I think that's I think he's got to go in the second round maybe you kind of had to take him and then all of a sudden your next tier of guys go your Samarja Cole 
Cobb, and Shields go. Well, then you're taking DeGrom, but if you back him up with another guy very close to him, say an Arietta, a Geo, a Ryu, however you felt, because that, that tier is even thicker, I think you can do it that way. I, I just don't know that he can be if, if you're going to go for the one-two punch, I don't know if you can go Zimmerman, DeGrom, and then wait. I think if you went Zimmerman, DeGrom, you'd have to go back to the pitching pool again quickly, if that makes sense. Yeah, maybe. I mean, just because Zimmerman's strikeout upside isn't necessarily a slide. Exactly. Um, and, you know, I was also thinking another mitigating circumstance is probably how deep your league is. I mean, if you're if you're in a 15-team league, then I think the, the top tier actually extends past 15 mm -hmm. because – there are, I think, given say you have X number of teams in your league, I think there are probably X times 1.5, almost maybe X times two amount of starting pitchers that can be an ace in any given year in that league. I think that's fair, especially kind of the way we're going. Um, it just depends how you want to supplement at that point. And then if you're talking about the, say, a 10-team league, okay, X times two, we're talking 20 team or, or 20 pitchers, DeGrom is right there. The reason I could get away with rostering DeGrom as an ace is because the the, the, the pool would be thicker to uh, supplement in case things went wrong with him. And I would and I always want to do two of those to try and get two lottery tickets, quote unquote, to get into that into that ace them with with two of my guys. So, yeah, in a 15 team league, I think it does extend to 20. Um, and I think it does. You know, Arietta makes me nervous uh, because he had shoulder problems last year. Mm -hmm. uh, that's actually one where I might be lower. I talked about this in, when I talked about Garrett Richards. I, I see Garrett Richards and Jake Arietta is very similar. And Richards hurt his knee and Arietta hurt his shoulder. So I'd, I'd rather take the younger guy who hurt his knee and has never really had elbow shoulder, shoulder problems over the older guy um, who broke out in a very similar fashion uh, but also had, you know, hurt his shoulder last year. So uh, I, I'd actually push Arietta down. But if I push Arietta down out of out of that group, I feel pretty good if I could get two out of the sort of top 25 in a 30-team league. Even if I went into the league with DeGrom and Wood, yeah. um, you know, or DeGrom and Harvey, which I, I might I might have Harvey a little bit higher, but you, you're right because the innings pitched is an, is an interesting thing. But uh, DeGrom and, and Stroman. If those are my top two guys in a 15-team league, I feel pretty good because I probably got three or four. I, mean, I, mean, I probably even got like five or six hitters. Exactly. You, you, you've got some stud hitters there. And plus, yeah. for you and, and me specifically, we love kind of playing the back end of the pitching pool too. And if we feel like we're going to get at least one big lottery ticket out of that, that covers any of maybe the shortcomings that a DeGrom or a Stroman might you know, run up against if they don't quite develop as quickly as we had hoped. And that's why, you know, you know, deep staffs can deep staffs can do as much as a top heavy staff. You know? Exactly. And, and, you know, we, we, Jason, and I got heat for, for not backing up Kershaw, at least in the eyes of some, we felt that Cobb was that backup. And I think my ranking backs that up. I have him 16th. So we still got yeah. two in the top 16 that we're very yeah. happy with. Yeah, even with the number one guy. So exactly. that, yeah, that's a nice way to look at it. All right, let's. Um, so you, you you mentioned Hamels, you mentioned Degrom, you mentioned Richards, and I, I'm gonna hit on him a little bit more here because I think you're right. I I probably undersold him. I, I got him at 39 myself. Uh, the the consensus has him at 44, and I think that he's gonna be someone who could be a, a riser for me during the spring. Obviously we already saw, you know, I don't know if everyone has MLB network that's listening to this, but they did a package on him. 
uh, kind of detailing some of his workouts since the surgery, uh, since the uh, or, or some of the physical therapy that he's doing, showed him throwing, did a little bit of an interview, and I came away encouraged from that. Obviously, it wasn't going to be a package where they could where they were going to negatively paint it, but it was something that that definitely left me feeling better about him. He, he's progressing at the right speed to feel that he's going to be on track, and if he doesn't miss much time, all of a sudden you're talking about a guy who does not belong down at 39 where I have him. Probably needs to cut that in half almost and be up in near that top 20 because he's got that kind of talent. So I assume that you believe in him from last year. The only thing holding you back uh, particularly would be the injury, right? Yeah, like I said, like you said, the, the, he's he's thrown off a mound and he's been cleared. And you know, even if he misses the first two weeks, it might just be the first two weeks. And look what and... look what Hamels did missing time. And I'm not saying that he's Hamels, but but a pitcher yeah. can miss some time, and and it won't necessarily preclude him from being you know a top twenty, top twenty five kind of guy. Especially especially if they if they finagle the start so that. If he had been like the three or four or five starter and misses two weeks and then comes back right on his day, mm-hmm. then you know, then he only missed you know two starts or something. Exactly. So, um, then that's just not that big a deal. So I think that uh, if if people are really worried about this injury, then then I'll take him. I think that the it's like the hitters too. It's a leg injury. I understand that the leg is involved in everything and and it can lead to other problems. But he's young enough and he's had enough time. I think that. Um, that I that I feel pretty good about him. You know, an interesting guy that that occurs to me when I'm looking at Richards. You know, Matt Shoemaker. I, I like him better than his than his projection. I mean, his projection from Steamer is is a 406 with a 124 ER uh, WHIP. Yeah. And I and, and the I like him particularly better in that ERA section. I, you know, the WHIP's pretty decent, uh, but I think that he can do better than that, especially in that park. He's shown that he has great command, um, and the splitter is good. So. The weird thing about it is that that steamer ranking gives him a, a 52 right behind Drew Hutchinson. Oh, and the reason the reason that I didn't uh, or 53 the reason I didn't list Shoemaker along with Hutchinson is that um, in the consensus he ends up 47. Shoemaker does. Yes. Well, so he, he was 20th on Zach's. Uh, so he got he got elevated very nicely there. I think everyone else was in pretty close proximity right. from 52 to 64 was the range for the other four of us. But 20 from Zach, who I believe does it based off of Z scores. Uh, so, you know, that 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 season last year is going to grade out favorably because he was excellent. And well, so Zach, that's why Zach he's 20. Does, yeah, Zach also does his own projections. I mean, they're not they're not to the to the decimal point okay. like pot horses. Uh, but he he does his own projections, so he he believes in Shoemaker, um, and I'm glad that he pushed him up. But my my general point is, even when you go with the the numbers of the rest of the consensus, this is why I like the consensus ranks because even though he pushed you up a couple spots, in general you guys are all around the low 50s. Mm-hmm. So, and and he ends up 47 because Zach likes him better. That's fine. What what's interesting about the steamer thing is, even though I believe he's better than his steamer uh, projections. Pitching is so sandwiched together it really is. right now that even though the names are not the same, he ends up about the same in my estimation. You know, even though I don't like his steamer projection that much, he ends up like, okay, I'll take him over Doug Fister. Yeah, I think I'd probably take him over Jose Quintana. You know, then Garrett Richards, no, I'm not sure I want to take him over Garrett Richards. Garrett Richards has way more stuff. Yeah, you know, definitely. Drew Smiley, I don't know. Smiley, you know, has a lot going for him too. Liriano, okay, maybe I take him over Liriano, but I, am I gonna take him over Michael Waka, who's like, you know, drool stuff? Oh, God, you know, I love Waka. You know, 
maybe I take him over Casimir. So there's there's like a there's a soft spot in the rankings there uh, in the you know near 40 and 50 where I disagree with some of the names, but in general the shoemaker placement I thought was fine. You know Hutchinson being down at 58 I thought was wrong because I like him more as sort of a 40 to 50 guy. So that's why I even though Hutchinson and Shoemaker were right next to each other in the rankings, I saw some I saw a substantive change in, in Hutchinson's arsenal and his approach that was different than saying, well, Shoemaker, good strikeout minus walk, you know, probably better than his projection. You know, that's it. That's all I got to say. Plus, he ends up in about the same place. With Hutchinson, I can say, no, he's better than he was last year. He's better because of this. And also, he's probably better than a 60s guy. Talk to me a bit about Hutchinson because I really do like him. And first off, let me let me agree with your point there. And I've been saying this a lot in the starting pitching guide, which Doug Thorburn and I are going to release soon. From the, from the late 40s to the early 70s, there is not a major difference in the talent when you're talking about the, you know, kind of the upside of these guys. Sure, I, I, I don't necessarily want Brandon McCarthy over, uh, you know, Chris Archer, but would you really be that surprised if Brandon McCarthy had a better season? And, there, the, you know, I had him 30 ranks apart. It, it's just it, – it's that middle area where it gets really deep. And there's just such a such a uh, you know minor differences between all the guys, but you have 40 names that it looks like a huge gap. But with and I'm back, I'm back out. I, I I'm in for like two in the top 20, top 30. I want two or three guys in the top 30. So you know when we were talking about sort of Degrom that area, I I want to be shopping in there. I want to get my Degrom. I want to get my Matt Harvey. You know I want to get uh, my Alex Wood. I want to get my Garrett Cole. But then I want to get. And then I'm gonna, then I'm out. Yep. And then you guys can fight over who's better between, you know, Waka or Liriano or Smiley. All these guys, it, it's fine. I'll take whoever drops because there's gonna be some nice drops. There, there really are. Nice, and 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 I think every league it'll be a different guy. But you know, whoever it is, even if it's Jared Weaver in a deep league, screw it. Agreed. You know? I mean. On, he put on weight, and he's a rise ball guy, and he's been doing the same thing forever. So No, I, I agree, and I think you've highlighted two of them nicely here with Hutchison and Han. And they're going to drop in some leagues. They're going to go. They're going to be at the front end of that in, in other leagues. You're going to have your Hutchison and Han believers in some leagues where you're going to say, ah, oh, dang, they went too early. i got to wait for the Gaussman and the, and the um, you know, Bauer or, or the Willie Peralta or the Tillman or whoever it is that you like, but that group is so thick. So you mentioned Hutchison, and I think uh, he, he – had a wide variety on the consensus from 36 to 75 with everything in between 41 47 56 set hut so he finished at 58 as you mentioned and i definitely feel he should have been higher like i like i said 41 was mine uh jeff was highest at 36 i think this guy's being forgotten because of teammate marcus stroman you know it's like Sometimes people don't want to pick more than one breakout or, or, or one guy to kind of be, fall in love with on a team uh, if they haven't fully done it yet. So that everyone's going on Stroman and kind of leaving Hutchison off to the side. Talk to me about Hutchison, what you've seen that makes you believe so much in him because he came off of his Tommy John surgery year and he was actually great when you consider everything. I know he had a 4.48 ERA because I think he had some what was it home or road issues. One of the he had a major split early in the season. I think it was uh, road that was bothering him. But overall, when you look at the stuff and the skills, he's much better than a 4.48 ERA. Talk to me about Hutchinson. You know, I think it was the most amazing thing is that he came back from Tommy John and had an above-average walk rate. Mm-hmm. You know, 
And I think that suggests that some of the really plus walk rates we saw in the minor leagues are, are, are still to come. So I, I think that we could see, you know, he's projected to do the exact same thing. But, you know, now he's got Russell Martin behind the plate and he's got this history of, of good command, really good numbers in the minor leagues. And, and he, you know, his first year back from Tommy John, you usually have the, the command dip. So I think that uh, Hutchinson's command is going to take a step forward. You know, we know that he, he changed his slider deep uh, late in the season. It became more of a, a slur of a curve. You know, it was slower. And that slower velocity separated it from its, from its changeup. It used to, his slider and changeup used to kind of go around the same uh, velocity. And I think now, he, he's got another velocity. So not only do things bend in different directions, and he's got a good changeup, he's got a good slider, and he's got above-average fastball velocity, but now he's kind of got three different speeds. Um, and I think you saw what's weird about – I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be able to say, oh, he figured out how to you know, stop giving up homers on his changeup. But I think you know, with those three different speeds, uh, what you're going to see is that the slider is actually going to help his changeup. So – I think the new slider is kind of the 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 rug that brings the whole room together. <laughs> it, t- and, it ties uh, it together very nicely. Yeah. So I think, uh, I, in terms of just whiffs and 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 walks, we already knew that he was good and he was really good. Um, so you know, to start with that and then say, okay, can he can he can he solve this this homer problem? Well, he is kind of a, a flyball guy. But if this new slider helps him and if he maybe commands the changeup a little better and doesn't hang him as much, I mean, we're talking about little tweaks here. We're not talking about he needs to revamp his whole thing. I mean, if you just take him apart and deconstruct him, it it all looks good. It's just that so far he's shown a homer problem, and that's why he's projected into into another homer problem. Yeah, and it, it was it was lefties that really did him in. They hit 17 of the 23 homers last year, so if he can improve against them, I, I foresee a, a, a big season, uh, the potential for a big season here. I'm very excited about him. He'll be one of the guys I'm, I'm trying to get in that in that mid-tier. But again, if he's at the front end of it, like you said, I, I'll let it fall to me. And then maybe I have to get a Keiko or an Ian Kennedy. Or We could just keep going. There are so many names. And they're like you said, they're all going to go differently in every league. It's going to be so weird. You know, there are there are certain times uh, where I'll, I'll do my drafts and I got to, you know, a couple of guys in almost every draft, you know, my, my handful of guys pitching. It's going to be hard to do that this year because it's going to be so varied. Maybe you love Quintana and fires, but if they're going at the front end there behind a Garrett Richards and a Zach Wheeler, you're like, ah, maybe that's just a little bit too, too expensive. Why, why don't I just try to take a chance on an Odorizzi and, you know, bet on your Dono Ventura, not exploding, you know, something like that. So uh, this other one, this next arm that we're going to talk about the final one on your list, I'm very interested in, and it's Jesse Hahn. And now he's coming over. He's traded two times, two years in a row, but not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, and he goes from one great park to another, of course. The one thing that could really, you know, shape him up is a is a changeup and and or, or you know making sure that that changeup is as good as we saw last year. It, it it had great results but not heavy usage. So if if it's real, I think this guy's a potential stud. Talk to me about Jesse Hahn, the the new Oakland Athletic. Yeah, I mean he only threw 88 of them, and, and it's you don't want to spend too much time talking about 88. Uh, change-ups in terms of results. But 10% whiffs, he did get, you know, his eight whiffs or nine whiffs. So at least there were nine guys that 
you know, tried to get at that thing and couldn't. I mean, there are other people who threw changeups. I mean, Sonny Gray's changeup got had worse results. So, um, you know, I, I, when it when it's when the number's below 100, I tend to look a little bit more at the movement. And you know, the average vertical um, drop on a on a changeup, or the the average pitch FX number for for the vertical uh, movement on a changeup is around four and a half five. It, it doesn't drop as much of a, as a slider. Or, or a curveball. It, it's um, it drops more than a fastball, but less than this other one. So uh, his changeup is around three. So it's it definitely has more drop. It has you know two inches more drop than a sinker and six inches more drop than his fastball was forcing, which is a bit of a rise ball. So he's got he's got a changeup with drop, and he doesn't doesn't necessarily have more run than his sinker, but it has more run than the average changeup. Okay, and, and it doesn't have ten miles an hour gap. With his uh, with his fastball, with his four seam, uh, or his two seam, but it does have seven to eight. So you know, in a lot of ways, it's it's sort of an emerging pitch. It's better than a slider. He needs to put that slider away and and focus on the changeup. And and I, I think he's there. Also, for what it's worth, Pomerantz, Gray, these guys, uh, the curve is a reverse. Um, the curve has a reverse platoon spit. If you have a rise ball, which Pomerantz and Gray both do, then you you have you can kind of use your fastballs. Uh, to get same-handed guys out, and you use your curve to get opposite-handed guys out. Okay. And so there's a, there's a way to be a four-seam sinker curve guy. I like that. And that's why uh, that's probably why, or, or maybe why he didn't have much of a platoon split at all. I mean, lefties did do a little bit better, but they they did not rake him by any stretch of the imagination. I'm very interested it, to see what Oakland does it, with this guy. There's other, yeah, and, and just the fact that they have three of those guys in Oakland says something to me like, oh, wait, these guys are really similar. And also... There, there is an archetype that's emerging now um, that's not that doesn't have a changeup, and it, they're all very similar. I, I'm looking at this right now. What, the, what you do if you only have a curveball and you don't necessarily have a changeup is you, you basically throw your four seam and your two seam as two separate pitches, and you throw them about as often. So if you look at Tyson Ross, Garrett Richards, I'm, I'm writing, I'm writing about this tomorrow for for Fangraphs. Um, let me see if I can get it. Ty, Tyson Ross, Garrett Richards. Uh, Chris Archer, um, uh, let me see who else who came up on this. Um, um, anyway, a little bit of Jordan Ventura, uh, Drew Pomerantz. What you've got is they throw the four-seamer and the two-seamer at the exact same amounts, and then they throw their breaking ball a lot. Yes, especially throw Ross. The, yeah, and they throw their breaking ball as often as their four-seamer and their sinker. So basically they become a three-pitch pitcher where – the things are bending in different directions. There's not three different speeds necessarily, but there's a little bit of difference between their sinker and their pass and their four seam. Mm -hmm. And just by being sort of unpredictable and maybe some back footing, some breaking balls, they've managed to avoid the problems. They're all right-handed too. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about avoiding a problem one third of the time. It's a lot different when you're talking about Derek Holland, who, who has the same, same sort of setup, but, is trying to avoid a problem two thirds of the time because he's a lefty. Exactly. So, so I think there is room in baseball for the righty with three pitches where two of them are fastballs. That that is very interesting. I look forward to reading that. And, and to your point with regards to Ross, he did throw his slider about seventy thousand percent of the time, actually forty percent. <laughs> but that four seam sinker split was twenty four percent for the four seam and thirty two percent for the sinker, according to uh, according to Brooks. So you know that helps him. Like you said, at least change it up a little bit 
the the four seamer is faster and you're not going to have much of a speed difference between the 95 uh four seamer and the 92 93 sinker but at least you're doing something different to try to make it work i'm i i love tyson ross i love watching him you know dominate but I'm, i am still a little bit nervous about him so that that i do carry a little bit of nerves with regards to him and then you know, wrapping up on Hunt, since that's who we, we just finished talking about, there's a little bit of injury worry with him, too, because he had a checkered injury history that gave him in the late start to his career in the first place. He made the jump from double A last year because his career took forever to kind of get off the ground with Tampa Bay. And then San Diego decided they're the opposite of Tampa Bay. They, they fast tracked. He had never made the majors last year with Tampa Bay. There's just no way that he would have been skipping triple uh, A with them. So that's where an organizational move definitely helped a guy. And now we have somebody who is a very intriguing fantasy option. Yeah, I, I don't know how fair it is to 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 give him the the injury prone tag just because it was one Tommy Johnson. Well, yeah, you know, not, he, not he, even prone, just that it it, it exists. It took him, and I like to yeah. let people know because if they don't know the minor league history, if they just, you know, right. I, it's more it's more of a just be just be aware, y'all, just be aware. And you'd wonder where all the innings went if you didn't know, but he exactly. he basically tore his UCL in college right before the draft. And so it's 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 a worst case scenario for a young pitcher because you're getting Tommy John. You don't even get to jump into the into the new organization. You're basically getting Tommy John and and then rehabbing your way into the organization. Exactly. So. And he didn't get the debut until 2012 after being drafted in the summer of 2010. Got 52 innings there, and and Tampa Bay likes to slow cook their their pitching prospects. So he was just on a, such a slow track that getting back on the track with San Diego definitely helped him. So very excited about that. You guys can check out the the full article there uh, with Eno writing about those guys. And then you'll have your other one uh, touching the bottom of the pool coming up this week or next week. Uh, actually, I, everyone got mad at me for not doing rankings. So maybe I'll, I'll do pitching rankings and maybe that'll help. But I, you know, a, a couple of names that are just occurring to me as I, as I, you know, as we're talking and, and I'm looking more at the list, um, you know, I, I kind of, I actually, I think they're, they're going to come in the second half. They just, they're coming, they come way harder right after the, I hit the seventies or something that, you know, right at that mix between, I think you kind of, you kind of 75 pitchers is maybe what you kind of, you could put in your head for a mixed league, you know, sort of a standard 12 team mixed league, 75 pitchers, yeah. um, not usually a lot more than that. So I kind of went up to around 75. And then even though I did Jesse Hahn, once you get into the 90s, I mean, <clears throat> I start, and then I start seeing, it's like the Matrix sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> then I start being like, oh, wow. All right. We got Royanus Elias down here. Um, you know, we got Drew Pomerantz down here. Um, you know, we got Chris Tillman down here, Chase Anderson, James Paxton. I mean, then then the names start really coming harder. It's at the top. It's it's kind of harder to separate yourself from the pack. It's just it's almost like a numbers thing. It's like, oh, I like David Price better than the consensus. I like him one better. Yeah, exactly. And that's almost why <laughs> with this year of pitching, particularly, I'm almost like, God, please get me in deep leagues because that's the only place I can flex my muscle. In shallower yeah. leagues, it's just going to be who gets the you know who gets the uh, mid tier guy who rises up to be a Cy Young. You know who's uh, who's going to be the Cy Young winner that we don't expect a random Hasashi Iwakuma or a random Jake Arrieta. And if you get that guy, boom, you, you know, because what, like you said, what's the difference between Hamels and Price? Really? Not that much, but um, yeah. all right, cool. Well, if you do rankings, then we'll have even more to talk about, but 
Let's go ahead and wrap up with the NL, or excuse me, the AL Central, which Jason and I started um, the other day. We're doing team by team, KC and Minnesota, and then we'll we'll start the AL West, or the, excuse me, the NL West. We'll start that on Thursday. Uh, but let's finish up with KC and Minnesota here. Looking over everything with regards to the hitters, who do you like on this KC ball club? Well, I mean, I think we have to talk about Eric Hosmer. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm not. I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you uh, talk to me about Eric Hosmer because I, I I'm afraid to bring biases to the table. Okay. Um, I I did notice that you guys took Alcides Escobar. Um, is that right? You took Escobar in late. No, no, we, mix? we didn't. We didn't get him. He went to. Uh, Podhorzer took him, maybe. Did he go? Why can't it find it? He went. Yeah, he went to Podhorzer. Yeah, I, I I figure to me, uh, I I don't mind Alcides, especially in the in sort of fifteen teamish leagues, because exactly. because he seems very interchangeable with Elvis Andrews. Um, you know, probably around John Segura, Segura level two. I mean, Segura, there's more risk, but maybe more reward possibly because Segura's had the best season of the three of them, which is people forget that. Uh, but uh, I would put those three kind of in a in a similar bucket. Eric Ibar is in a, close to that, but but less upside, maybe a slightly higher floor than a Segura. But those four, pro, you know, shortstops. If, if if they're all on the board, I'm not picking one of them like above the rest. Yeah, that shortstop has this group of guys who are just uh, very similar and, and and tough to to differentiate from. So you, if you're doing tiers, obviously you want the the last of those. I will talk about Hosmer. He's not my pick, but I, we do have to talk about him here. I'm still not seeing the breakout that that folks are looking for. But I will admit that he's 25, so to write him off completely would be foolish. And maybe being burned by him has has got me nervous, but I don't think it's just oh I'm burned so you know forget him. He still hits the ball on the ground at a 50% clip. So even if he had gotten his homer to fly ball rate from last year kind of matching with what we'd seen in previous years, which was about 13, 12-13%, he still wouldn't have been an offensive force at first base. I'm still just not seeing. Where even in the in the muted state of offense that we're in, I'm I'm not seeing a guy who's any better than a corner, and and it's so deep at first uh, and pretty pretty deep at third too, that I feel like he's going to become part of a cluster of choices here, and I'm just not going to end up with him. And I was really surprised that both Jeff and Zach had him tenth on their rankings, and I doubled him up and I had him at twenty. Because I just I don't know what I might be missing here with regards to the potential breakout. I don't think he has enough power to be a breakout first baseman, in which for me would require at least uh, low twenties homers. You know, unless he was going to come out and hit three twenty with fifteen homers. But even then, I still just I prefer power at first base. So I can't give up on him fully because he's he's twenty five and it's just he has shown glimpses. But I'm not going to come in off of the. Uh, playoffs which i think some folks are and and getting hyped up on some of these kansas city royals that that ain't that's not going to work for me i know he had a 983 ops in his sweet 66 plate appearances but it's 66 plate appearances and i i refuse to kind of get too sucked in on that and i think we're looking at okay maybe he does what he did in 2013 which was a perfectly fine season at first base but i don't think it's a stud season well not to speak for for zimmerman but I will say that um, for the most part, he, his rankings are based on 
um, are based on Steamer. Okay. I mean, he does. He starts. He starts with Steamer. I think he does standing games points uh, for the most part, where 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 Zach does, um, you know, Z score. But in this case, they both ended up liking the player, and I think probably they are at least if I, if you look at Steamer, you see the eight stolen bases. That's the thing that leaps out of me because the two seventy eight batting average. That's right with his career. Eighteen stolen. Eighteen homers. That's you know, it would be right back to where he was before last year. So the the thing is, though, I don't know why Steamer uh, puts him into eight. I guess they probably have an overall aging curve that would say, you know, true talent. He's a 10 stolen base guy, and we're just bouncing him back towards that 10, 10 stolen base mean, um, you know, and then aging him for being 25. I, I think that last year was the harbinger of the end for the stolen bases, just because when I interviewed him, he said, you know, they're not something I think about. They're not something you think about. Is there? He's a first baseman. He's only getting bigger and slower, and you know they're more or less likely to give him the green light. And I just don't think that he's. I think eight is is pushing it. So I think if you and th- and those are important stolen bases because they especially add value to it. And, and especially in sort of these these core score methods where you're you're talking about you know a lot of first but most first basemen have zeros there. You know, so then he's he's doing something there. If you push that down to two, three, that's going to take a lot of his value out. Also, just in terms of brass taxes, a homer is about the same as a stolen bases. So if if you're taking two or three um, stolen bases away, that gets him from being a 25. Right, right now, by Steamer, he's a 26 homer plus stolen base guy. So that that's basically you're saying, what's the difference between Hosmer and Rizzo? Because, they're you know, one's going to hit 280 with, you know, 30 homers and one one's going to have 26 homers with stolen bases and, and hit close to 280. Mm-hmm. But if you start taking away those stolen bases, which I think are much riskier than Rizzo's homers, you know, I think Rizzo's power is legit. Um, that's where I think the risk comes from. And I think that's probably where the variance comes from on, on, a, on looking at Hosmer. Also, in terms of, you know, his power, you know, ground balls do improve. Uh, I say, quote unquote, improve for a power hitter. Improving means hitting fewer ground balls. Uh, they do improve until you're 25 years old. Okay. So, and then usually after that, um, you start hitting more ground balls again. You start hitting the ball on the ground into the ball a little bit more. Um, it, there's a plateau, but I just don't expect Hosmer um, to start hitting more fly balls, which would help him with the power. And even if you, you take out his splits for the, the postseason, he ranked in the postseason, but it was a 462 Babbitt. And... You, for a second, you might think he hit fewer ground balls because he did, but those all went to line drives. Yeah. He he hit the few in the postseason last year. He hit the fewest amount of fly balls he's ever hit. Yeah, he it was, was just on fire, all, but, but... It was, yeah, it was just on fire. It was just line drives. And yeah, he can be on fire for stretches of a season and maybe push that batting average and maybe next year he'll hit 290, you know, with 15 homers and three stolen bases. But I don't think he's you know, uh, destined to, to, for a power breakout. And I think the stolen bases are going to reach back. So I'm closer to, to 20 than 10. Yeah. And that, that, uh, that you've outlined all the reasons why I, I do lean lower though, because I'm not buying the stolen bases either. And, and by the way, steamer's not the only outlet. I'm looking at a couple of publications I have here in front of me. They do the same thing. They kind of bring them back for nine stolen bases, uh, eight stolen bases, a couple different things I saw here. So right in line with steamer and the fans, again, I can understand, I could, envision a scenario pretty you know not necessarily easily but it doesn't take me very many leaps to get him to a 310 average if he does have a a big line drive stretch and he's raking the ball 
but I'm never, I, I'm just not seeing the 20 bombs, and that's what I would want in a top 10 first baseman. So that, that's why I come out pretty low on him. Yeah, and, and then the magical age for stolen bases to start declining is 25 as well. So, <laughs> so he's um, got some fact, uh, some age factors there that aren't working in his favor. Yeah. Now, um, even if the true talent, nine or ten guy, his age says that he would fall off there. So. If if I wanted to be one one of the folks that was uh, very excited about Lorenzo Cain, would you have reasons to tell me not to be, or would you have reasons to back that up? Well, the one thing is he's a right-hander um, that's had platoon splits. I don't like that. Yeah. I think that's been part of why he's had bad batting averages in the past. Also, last year he had a career high in plate appearances, and it was 502. Um, you know, you think maybe he's a young guy because he hasn't been around very. He hasn't. He's only had you know 1, 1,300 plate appearances, but he's 28. Yeah, he's not at all. You know? um, and uh, you know, he, he maybe he managed 28 stolen bases because he was finally healthy. And, you know, part of a big run. Uh, but the Babbitt at 380 is not really supported by stuff he's done in the past. Um, so even if I think he can do a plus Babbitt just because he does hit the ball on the ground a lot and he doesn't hit a lot of um, he doesn't hit a lot of uh, infield flies. You know, I just don't think that um, he's uh, going to stay in one piece. Yeah. You know, I think. All the projections are are heavy on plate appearances. Steamer at 560, fans at 620. That, that's uh, that's sure the that. that's the playoff influence right there too. Because the one thing that makes you catch that catches his eye or catches your eye about him is the thing that's going to cut into those plate appearances. It's the defense. You, you love the defense. It's fantastic that he goes out there and makes all the plays and dives for him. But that's how you get hurt too. Because he, he has no fear of going for that big play and you're landing on a shoulder or bumping a knee or whatever whatever it is. But you're putting yourself at more risk uh, than if you weren't being an all-star, super elite center fielder. So I love the guy. I love his game. You know, I think he's got uh, at least a body type that suggests he could add power, but it's it's not in the game. It's just, it's just not there. And I would temper everyone's excitement on him uh, coming into this season. I've seen some some crazy eagerness with him, and I just I, I can't back it. Unfortunately, I, I wish I could, but I, it, the realist in me says slow down with Lorenzo Cain. Yeah, and if you value him at Steamer, you know, two sixty, twenty stolen bases, eight homers, I wouldn't argue too much sure. of that. I mean, maybe I think it's a little heavy on the plate appearances, but that seems fine for me. That's not going to get you very far. That's uh, that's sort of Michael Bourne territory. So, yeah, I mean, I, it, I've seen. You know, if you, maybe I take him over Bourne just because you know there's he's younger. Sure. You know. Yeah, b- between those two, okay, give me Kane for sure. But but they're but they're not going they're not going at the same place. Exactly, and I'm and I'm seeing Kane being talked about in some circles. And again, this isn't more. Uh, this is more anecdotal with folks' excitement as opposed to statistical uh, models projecting it. But I'm hearing people talk, oh, 15 homers, 30 steals. I'm like, whoa, 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 slow down. That ain't happening. Yeah. And then your big piece that I didn't even mention when I was refuting uh, the particular folk person that I'm thinking of right now, the the playing time. It's just not going to be there for that kind of volume anyway. So we got a slower roll with him. Let's talk about their pitching. Uh, you know, they, they did lose their ace and shields, but they still have some intriguing pitching. Who do you like on this club? Well, I mean, I remember sitting at, at a table at, at something very much like a Buffalo Wild Wings with John Jaso. And 
Jordano That's Ventura's a pretty cool pitching. sentence, by the way. I, I like that. <laughs> well, it was. It's even worse. It was a. Uh, it was a place called like Twin Peaks or oh, something. Oh yeah. Where the, uh, those are called yeah. restaurants. Uh, yeah, exactly. For, for a slang. It's a slang term I heard on the news when they were talking <laughs> about those and how they were like running out chilies and Applebee's. That the, the news called them restaurants, <laughs> which is pretty apt. But anyway, continue. Yeah. So y'all were y'all were at a Twin Peaks hanging out. Yeah, and uh, and Jordan Aventura was pitching, and 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 John just couldn't keep his face, you know, pointed at us. I mean, he was not interested in talking to us. He just kept looking at Jordan Aventura, and kind of muttering to himself, "Easy cheese," you know. <laughs> and, you know, from the, the the Arsenal type stuff, it's hard to see um, the whole package coming together yet. But I think what's going to happen is he's going to start throwing his other stuff more. Okay. Uh, I I think his his curve and change are good. And I think you'll start to see those more, and you'll start to see the strikeouts go up a little bit. You know, we all argue about weak contact a lot. I think if there is anything to be said about weak contact, it's probably has something to do with infield flies. It's the sort of Jared Weaver effect, and then also just high velocity guys. I mean, how it can't be that easy. And and I do know actually, we have seen some research that says that homers per fly uh, homers per fly ball go down, or homers per fastball go down once you get over 95 miles an hour. Okay. So, yes, maybe sometimes you see the guy really connect and the, it goes far sure. and the announcer says, oh, super fast going in, super fast going out. <laughs> yes. You know? But uh, the, 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 the stats say that once you get over 95 miles an hour, home runs per fastball go down. So he's got that cheese. He's got that easy cheese. And, uh, well, some people would, would quibble with that. I think Doug might quibble with how easy with, the cheese yeah. is. But. You know, so that's that's there's some injury risk there, but uh, the, the secondary pitches are good, and even as that you know cheese gets a little bit older, um, I think we'll we'll start to see you know more curves and changes. And as long as he stays in one piece, um, I'm not fully qualified to to get into that uh, potential. Um, but uh, in terms of past injury, he hasn't been too bad. Yeah, um, that is my concern with him is his staying in one piece, and I'll be very interested to see what Doug. Uh, Doug Thorburn, who writes the mechanics report cards for the starting pitching guide. I'll be very interested to see what he says because he hasn't sent me his Kansas City ones yet. Um, and, you know, if he can give him some sort of not clean bill of health, but if he, he comes out favorably on him, maybe I'll be more than will, uh, more willing to jump up a little bit on him. But right now um, I'm, I'm a little bit on the pessimistic end with Ventura. For me, you know, the the staff is it's not that interesting after Ventura, Vargas, Guthrie, Volquez, Yee. But uh, what's that? Fade them all. Yeah, and and then Danny Duffy fade because I think his price is going to be too high based on last year. Now he's not going at any sort of exorbitant price, but anyone buying into that 2.53 ERA is just a bit too much for me. And, and it's just something that I'm, I'm not ready to get get involved with yet. I'm still just – I don't know what we have in Danny Duffy. He's twenty coming into his age 26 season. He's got electric stuff but didn't really generate the swings and misses that I thought he could. He seems to trade control for, for some of that devastating stuff, which is fine because he was walking way too many guys. A change needed to be made, and he was still inducing some weak contact. The defense definitely helped him. There are reasons to like him. Uh, he's going to be in that fat tier that we're talking about. So in the drafts where he's toward the end of it, I'll be more apt to get him. But there's going to be some drafts where he's toward the beginning of it, and he'll go over a guy like a Hutchison uh, or a Shoemaker, and I'll be like, whoa, that's crazy. No, thank you. But if he's going in the 20th, 21st round, then maybe I'll get back on board. So it's going to be 
league dependent, and I realize that everything is, but I think it will be more – you can use that phrase more than ever this year as we've been saying throughout this podcast that – it's just going to be how it shakes out with your league because in one league, Colin McHugh is going to go pretty high and you're going to be like, whoa, that's too high. In another league, he's going to go six rounds later. And you're like, whoa, how did he get down that far? And it's just because of how thick that tier is. So uh, if I have to go with anyone here and it's not Ventura, then I'm hoping for a cheap, cheaper end Duffy. Yeah, I mean, the, the velocity is nice. And it, there is one thing that you can – there's one way that you can be positive about him. I mean – Duffy got uh, nine pop-ups last year. Uh, no, those are infield hits. He got uh, 28 pop-ups last year. Oh, nice. So you, if you add those 28 pop-ups to his 113 strikeouts, you actually get one, three, one. So then all of a sudden he's got 131 strikeouts in 149 innings. Uh, and he starts looking more like a, you know, like the guy he did maybe when he first came up when he had seven and a half strikeouts per nine. Exactly. Uh, and that, and, and, the projections have him at seven and a half. So if he keeps those infield fly balls, he's more like an eight, you know, an eight guy. Um, and, and that's, those, that's nice. And that's commensurate. And I think it, I, it does actually fit given the fact that he has a lot of rise on his, on his four seam. He gets, um, he gets about 11 inches of rise on his four seam and the average four seam is around nine. So two inches extra rise means he's got that Doolittle, that McGee. He's got that pitch that just, you know, they expect it to go down. Yeah. And when it doesn't go down, they get the bottom of it and it goes straight and they hit the ball straight up. So, so are you including, uh, sorry, are you including those as strikeouts because they're free outs essentially? Like, cause they, they can't go for hits or are you saying they could turn into strikeouts because they could miss it the next time around? No, I'm just including them as outs. Okay. So I'm, the strikeout and the pop-up are the only 99%. Yeah, they're, they're free free outs, so that's why you're adding them to it. I, I, that, that makes total sense. I just wanted to clarify that in case anyone was wondering. Yeah, just to like, you know, just if you wanted to kind of guesstimate what the impact of his infield fly ball is. Exactly. No, that, that's the, sharp. I'd, I'd never heard that before. I, I like that. But the, the thing that makes me nervous about that is, you know, he did have the good infield fly ball rate three out of the four years he was in here. The fourth year, he didn't get any infield fly balls. No, not at all. Literally one. So in 2013, he was way past subpar. He was really bad. So there's that risk. Then there's the the idea that, you know, when you think about Jared Weaver, he's the essential rise ball guy. I've said it a couple times on this cast already. He's the guy who has a ton of rise on his fastball, but he also knows exactly where he's trying to put the ball. Mm-hmm. And Matt Cain, Matt Cain used to be that guy too, where he had a lot of rise on his fastball, and he knew exactly where to put it. And Joey Votto told me, he said, Matt Cain knows that there's that spot on my hands that, you know, and if he can p- pitch it just below that, I'll think I can hit this. And then with that rise, it'll, it'll go right into that spot on my hands that's an infield fly ball. And he says, for me against Matt Cain, I just have to remember about that and just never swing at that pitch. And, you know, I think what happened with Matt Cain was once things started going a little bit iffy with the shoulder, with the elbows, with the, the bone spurs in there, and he had some sort of leg stuff. Then the command went a little bit, and it didn't go a lot, but it just went a little bit, and all of a sudden that, that ball that was supposed to be in on the hands was over the plate. And then all of a sudden his homer rate just went right out the roof. Exactly. Now, if you're starting with Danny Duffy, you're starting with a guy who has terrible command. You know, I, I just don't think there's any other way to put it. I think this guy has terrible command. Mm-hmm. I know. I, I agree. And, that's, that's, that's a problem for him is that he can't – he has good stuff. He can't always command it. When he's on, when he is commanding, you'll see a great outing, seven strong innings. It'll look devastating, and you'll be like, this guy's a stud. But you're not getting that start-to-start 
inning to inning, and that's the problem. Yeah, and then, and you know, there are guys. I'm I, I, Alan Webster's on a lot of my sleeper lists. We've talked about him before. He has no command. I, I don't I don't have any problems sometimes saying this guy can be good despite a bad command because we have we had Tim Lincecum. Tim Lincecum existed, <laughs> and the way that Tim Lincecum worked was he was hot fire. You know, it was hot fire coming out of a friggin' cannon. And everything was unhittable, so it wasn't. It didn't even almost matter that he had no command. He just threw through the middle of the plate, and nobody could hit any of it. So I'm not necessarily saying Alan Webster is going to be Tim Lincecum, but if he can be anything, it could be Tim Lincecum S because he has four pitches that are all good. Yeah, he's and got so, good stuff. So if he just throws that stuff towards the middle, then you know it's the Carrasco effect. Carrasco didn't just get command last year. Carrasco just started, you know, having the the balls to throw towards the middle of the zone. And 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 to throw his pitches in every count and and just do it, you know. It, it, he didn't just you know automatically just wake up one day with more command. He got a little bit of a velocity boost and he just started throwing everything in every count and you know, and 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 it worked out for him. So you know I wouldn't bet on Carrasco long term because uh, we've shown that um, Billy Bean uh, the Billy Bean thing where he gets guys with good command that's good for their health long term. So and it's also good. You know, look at Tim Lincecum. It was great when it was great. You don't want it at the end. No. So, you know, you know Danny Duffy could do those things, except none of his secondary stuff rated well. I mean, his curveball did not get any – his curveball was below average. His All of his pitches, other than his fastball, are below average by, by whiffs and grounders. So, the crazy thing about his curveball is I saw him in a fall league start where he must have gotten six swinging strikeouts on the curveball, and it was so devastating. And I know it's a long time ago. We're talking fall league. So, you know, I, I just – I'm surprised. It looks, nice. it looks nice. It looks nice for sure. Yeah, it, and it can look nice, but it, it hasn't done well, though. It, it didn't do well last year. Yeah. All right, let's talk, let's talk Twinkies. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, okay. Oh, did you have um, one yep. more thought on the Royals? That's fine. Go ahead. Well, Chris, Chris Medlin is yeah, yeah. on that staff. It's funny because I was actually going to bring him up, but then I was say, well, we were going to move on. So he got hurt. He's coming back second Tommy John. Well, what do you, what kind of hope are you putting into this? Because he should be able to return around May, June, uh, at least for a timetable standpoint, because he got his Tommy John in mid-March. So that will give yeah. him a good 13, 14 months. How, how do you feel about him? Well, it's hard to know who Medlin's going to replace. I mean, Danny Duffy got hurt last year, so that's a possibility. Um, you know, the, the older guys are – you know, just another year older, and Guthrie and Vargas. Um, Volquez has been hurt a decent amount, and he's only projected for 160 innings because we've got a 170-inning year on there. We've got 108 innings with the Reds, and he's crazy bad command guy. He's been guy. terrible at times. Yeah, he's, he's been completely horrific at other times, too, when he's not hurt. So he's no, so he's there's no a, lock. There's a chance there he sneaks in, I think, because all you need is for Volquez to be walking. I mean, even... Even Volquez, when he was just walking four per nine, you know, which has been most of his career, he's been bad. Yeah, every year but last year. The last year at 3.3 was his first year below 4.0. Um, and the last time he hit 4.0, oh, he hit 4.1 in, in, in 2013. So, yeah, it was it was tough. I love Medlin. I always have. Uh, I was in on him pretty big the year that he had that a massive close to the season. I had him as like a $1 guy in multiple NL only leagues, which was weird but awesome. So I'm really pulling for him, but obviously the returns from two Tommy Johns it does. It's not favorable. So that, that that's concern there. Right. But keep an eye on him. And, it, and like we said earlier, if you have a DL spot, 
a guy like that, I don't mind taking a shot on if you as long as he's not eating a a reserve spot. AL only reserve, uh, AL labor type reserve where he's all the way down to the bottom. Mm -hmm. A score sheet, score sheet reserve. You know, not not too bad in those situations, but otherwise you're right. Let's talk some Twinkies here, and they, they've got some interesting guys. They had a much better offense last year than I think most people would realize. They're pretty decent in runs. Uh, they had some, you know, breakout kind of guys on their team. Brian Dozier had a great year. Uh, you know, Oswaldo Arcia had a solid year for as a young guy. Danny Santana had a huge year that people, you know, are, are pretty torn on. We'll talk about him in a second, uh, unless he's your favorite hitter. But who is your favorite hitter on this club? I mean, I guess it's probably Brian Dozier. Yeah. There's no there's no way around. I just don't think that there's much growth left. He's 27, and even in his good year, he didn't do any better when it came to infield fly balls. So he's got the Anderson Simmons pop-up problem, and I don't think he'll ever have a 300 BABIP unless he gets lucky on the non-pop-up parts of his, of his uh, batted balls. But, um, you know, 112 runs – Maybe he can do 100 runs. He does have a, a decent walk rate, so that that'll part is good. The 170 ISO, I think he can repeat. Maybe a little bit fewer stolen bases since he's, uh, you know, turning 28 this year. So I like the projections. They're not. They're not. The fans getting him up to 250. I think they're pushing that Babbitt because they're just looking at the Babbitt. But those are pop ups there. So yeah. if you if you value him still at at 240. With 18 uh, stolen bases and 18 steals, something like that, then uh, then you'll do fine. He's a good he's a good player. Yeah, I like I like Dozier, and I agree with you. I don't I don't really see any growth. I see a little bit of a backslide from last year, but uh, all intents and purposes, a, a, a mostly repeat. I'll take that all day long from him at second base. Uh, you know. Arcia will be my guy, but he's a kind of a popular sleeper, so it's hard for me to really get too high on him because I, I think the price is really starting to shoot up. But I love a guy who's got some some nice raw power at age 24 now. He hit 20 bombs last year in just 103 games. You've got to be careful going and just extrapolating that and saying, oh, well, what if he plays 150 games? He'll definitely you know, uh, rise commensurate with that. I don't think that will necessarily be the case, especially because young guys don't progress in a linear manner, especially hitters. But if you're looking for a guy who can give you some power, I think the 25-74 homers and RBIs that Steamer gives him with a 258 average, I think that's that's solid. That's strong. Uh, I can definitely yeah, but you know, use he's that. He's not guaranteed to get even there because he's you know he's now struck out 31% on the dot. Two years in, in a row. Yep. Yeah. And the swinging strike rate got worse last year. So I mean he's a real you know he's a real hacker, and if. The swinging strike rate doesn't it doesn't decrease. I don't see why he's necessarily going to drop all the way down to 26 percent. And if he doesn't drop all the way down to 26 percent, then he's not going to hit 250. No, he he won't if he doesn't drop that. But his minor league track record, what he wasn't that hacktastic. So I, I imagine that they're seeing you know whether it's the fans or steamer has got to be seeing that he was never over 23 percent in the or never over 24 percent in the minors and thinking that there's got to be a way to get him back on track here and, and kind of even some of that out, slow it down a little bit. Don't always swing from your heels and get yourself these 31% strikeout because that's, that's just too much. Uh, so, yeah, the 258, that's why I said that the steamer projection would be great. I would love that. I don't necessarily think he's going to get that high, and the batting average is the piece that I would worry about. But I'd take 230 and 25 as well from the outfield. 
he needs to get better though. I think this is a growth profile. I'm I'm willing to invest if the price is right. And for the most case it is, but there are going to be some instances where it's a little too high. I also like Trevor Plouffe. Uh Jason and I did draft him. I think he's got uh some I, Upside's probably the wrong word because he's he's too, he's too old to really have you know a ton of upside. But he showed a 24 homer season back in 2012. I think he can get back into the upper teens, low 20s. Uh, but that'd be more of a volume thing than anything else because he only played 136 games last year. I I, I kind of like Trevor Plouffe as a decent third baseman. He he adds there's a lot of depth there, and it's because of guys like him. One thing I like about Plouffe is that you know he's a right-hander and it was easy early on to say that he might be a wrong side platoon guy because he wasn't ever league average with the bat against righties until last year. And the, the, the problem with saying that is that his Babbitts were all bad against righties, you know, until last year. And with, uh, you know, he finally, he put together his, 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 his strikeout rate against righties went down every, every year until, and, and, and last year was his best year. His walk rate, you know, bounced around a little bit, but last year was the second best year. Mm-hmm. So in terms of peripherals against righties, he improved everything. And then also, um, he, he had decent power against righties all the way along, but one of his better power years last year. And then finally, he had a normal Babbitt with a 290 Babbitt. So, you know, give him a normal Babbitt against righties, and then all of a sudden he's 250, 318, 420 um, with a slash line against righties. And he's, we know he's better against lefties. So it's that plus cream. And, um, you know, I, 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 yeah, I think that people worry too much about Sano. Um, Sano is oh, yeah. maybe barely a third baseman. Anyway, he's huge. He would be one of the biggest third basemen of all time, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's not like Kenny Spargas is, you know, changing Miguel Sano's future. Um, you know, Joe Maurer can DH and Kenny Vargas can whatever. The Kenny Vargas train needs to slow down a little bit too. <laughs> it really needs to slow down a bit. I, I like him. I liked him last year. He was a nice pickup. Uh, he's a nice daily league guy for a spell. You know, th- there were things that I liked, particularly against righties here, but woof, I've seen some major aggression on him and I'm just not seeing it all come together right away for this guy. So I agree with you there with regard to, um, you know, if you're worried about Sano, you don't necessarily have to worry about him taking over third base because I don't think DH is going to be set in stone for Kenise Vargas. Yeah, and I mean, he did he did do a decent amount of DHing last year, so you don't have to worry too hard that he can't DH. But I mean, the one thing about DHing is that you really have to do a lot with your bat mm-hmm. in order to keep your job. And there are not a lot of young DHs, I and mean, usually they find a place for them to, to give a little bit of value on the field. And so, you know, if he doesn't improve that walk rate and his strikeout rate doesn't improve and his, you know, and, and his ISO regresses at all, his, his power was a little bit up and down in the minors. Um, then you're talking about a guy who you know, might not have a 300 on base percentage. Exactly. Might not be able to hit 20 homers. No, so and, yeah, t- tamp down on that a little bit with the with some of the Canis Vargas uh, that I've seen out there. And again, it's not universal, but whew, just some excited folks about him. Um, let's talk pitching. I- I'm going to dare you to take a pitcher that isn't Phil Hughes. 
just just to, just to try to talk <laughs> about it, and, you know, because I want to take Phil Hughes too, because I, I actually love Phil Hughes last year, if I can brag a little bit. So I was pretty happy to see what what he was able to do last year. But but I'll, I'll challenge you to take somebody that isn't Phil Hughes here. Okay, well, uh, here's a guy. Uh, just just describe a guy who most years has, uh, I think, almost for his career, above average walk rate, above average strikeout rate, and a homer problem. Ooh, Irvin Santana. Yeah. There it is. Well, it sounds a little bit like Phil Hughes. That, that's true. It's not, I mean, Phil Hughes is a little bit more extreme in that his command was better. Sure. But, you know, last year was the first year in Irvin Santana's career where he had a home run rate as low as he had it. And he got he got done in a little bit by some Babbitt, but I don't I'm not gonna blame it on the Atlanta infield defense because they're pretty good, um, and their outfield was pretty good. But I don't know why he sometimes it doesn't it, you know sometimes you don't get the same defensive work from the same squad for the same pitchers. So exactly, you know, it's not it's not Atlanta's fault. It's just Santana did everything right, threw his changeup more than ever, had the best swing strike rate of his career, you know, conquered some of his splits, and had the best strikeout rate of his career, had, or second best strikeout rate of his career, had the best, one of the better walk rates of his career, had one of the best home rates. I mean, he's, he's ready, I think, to have a good year in the, Minnesota. I, I think the steamer is a little bit rough. The, the, this is a little kitschy. You know, it's not, it's not a thing. But uh, if you, if you want to say that he didn't really earn the 324 ERA that he had in 2013 because he had a 393 FIP, well, then it, it, it reversed in 2014 because he got stuck <laughs> with a 395 ERA and he deserved better. So he's even for the last two years. But if you smush it together, you got a guy who's had two pretty good seasons. And uh, I agree with you that I, I think that the steamer is, is – way too mean personally at a 438 i i think he's better than that um that that would have been my pick too they're gonna miss him they're gonna miss i think um the 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 premise of my piece that i'm uh, that i'm working on for tomorrow is that the projections are gonna miss a guy that changes of course you know and and so projection is just gonna say well he's had bad home run rates his whole career and and so therefore um he's gonna have a bad home run last year but he's never used his changeup nearly 20% of the time. And, you know, according to Brooks, he used his changeup uh, last year at the end of the year, but 14% of the time, double the most he ever used it before. Oh, wow. And, of course, most of that's going to be against lefties. Sure. And, of course, you know, his, his problem in the past um, has been against, uh, against lefties. And if you look at just his home run rates um, over his career. He, he, in his worst year, he gave up two homers per nine against lefties. I know. It was, it, it was so bad. And the most improvement that he got in any, in, every, in any place, in any place on his line, was in home run rates and strikeout rates against lefties last year. He had the second best strikeout rate of his career against lefties last year. He had the best walk rate of his career against lefties last year. And he had the best home run rate against lefties of his career last year. So... You know, th- these it just lines up too well with the fact that he threw the changeup more than ever, and he and he, you know, I interviewed him and he said, "Yeah, I love this changeup. I got a changeup. I finally believe in it. I'm gonna throw it." So he's a forgotten yeah. man. Twenty uh, first round of the labor draft. I could see him going even later in some leagues because I, I think just uh, the fantasy community as a whole doesn't seem to like him. And I, I mean, I get it because because, you know, there were some years there that he could have really, really, really burnt you like that uh, 
like that 2012 year when he when he allowed two homers per nine because it was coming off of a really sharp season. His 2011 looked pretty good. And you're like, okay, I'm buying in. We've seen some stuff, and he's actually done that twice. He's come up. He's he's <laughs> rebounded off of a good year with a five something ERA. He did it in 2008 to 2009 and then 2011 to 2012. So I I get why the fantasy community as a whole is a little bit scared, but like you said, if they're missing the change, that's the, that pun intended, by the way, uh, that's the problem because he's, he's made a change and it's, it's been related to his change up. I like this. This park move is, is perfectly nice for him. I mean, he's coming back to the AL, but the leagues aren't that far apart right now offensively. Obviously, you're not going to get to face the pitcher, but he spent his whole career until last year in the American League anyway. So I, I don't have worries that he can't handle the American League. So good pick there. I, I like I like him. I think he deserves a little bit more love. And also, he's, he's kind of there's this there's this archetype that you can get in AL only. The it's like the Bud Norris. I got Bud Norris last year for like three or four bucks. I didn't think that he would do what he did. Sure. I'm not trying to brag that I thought Bud Norris was going to break out. But what I did think was, here's a guy who's going to give me innings. Yeah. And there are there are these these sort of high floor guys that are useful in onlys. And I see Irvin Santana. I know he had those two bad years. We just finished talking about them. But I see Irvin Santana as one of those guys. I think the worst case scenario really is just another year of like a 3-9 ERA and a 1-3 whip. And, you know, that's fine. You know, that, that'll, be, that'll be a back-end guy for me. A lot of innings, you know. Somebody might even trade for those at the end of the year. So, um, but I do see upside beyond that. And then I actually think this, this pitching staff is not so bad. I mean, you, you, you did make a good joke, but uh, I like Kyle Gibson, too. I, I actually do, too, and that's, that's who I was going to talk about. But I, I'd like to hear your thoughts on him because I've spent a lot of time kind of uh, talking and, and, and researching him on my own here since I've been enamored with him. Kind of goes back to a, a, another Fall League appearance. I mentioned that with Danny Duffy. I saw Kyle Gibson out in Fall League. And and came away very impressed. That was a couple of years ago too, so that's a little bit of an old memory. But what what do you like about watching, Kyle Gibson? Yeah. What's that? I was watching with you. I think. Oh yeah, that I was 2012. We we were out there together. So yeah. that, that's when I kind of fell in love with him. Um, talk to me a bit about what what you're seeing with Gibson. I'll give you I'll give you two pictures on this team since you got two good names to talk about. Well, with Gibson, I think he's I think he's one of these prototypical possible less than the sum of his parts right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you just break them up, you say change-ups, 15% whiffs, slider, 18% whiffs, curves, 15% whiffs, all thrown you know, fairly regularly, not any sample size issues really, um, good, uh, good ground ball rate on his change-up, over 50%, good ground ball rate on his slider, uh, just qu- almost riding 50%, um, not so great on the curveball, but still, three really good pitches uh, in terms of outcomes. Um, the change, you know, doesn't get the 10 mile an hour gap, but it has a lot of drop, you know, uh, three inches more drop than his fastball. So, you know, it's a straight change, but it's good. Yeah. He buries that sucker down in the zone. Yeah. He's got a four pitch mix. I think what he needs to do is just never throw a four seam again. Uh, go the the Kluber route. Yeah. The four seam, he throws it, he throws it in 20% of the time. And if, if the, the systems are correct. And it has the worst ball rate out of any of his pitches. So he's not using it to get ahead. Um, it, it, it gives up homers, just like any of his other pitches. It doesn't get ground balls. And he gets 3% whiffs, which is about half the whiffs you'd expect from a four-seam. It doesn't give him much velocity. The boost in velocity is less than half of a mile yeah, per minimal, hour. Yeah, minimal, minimal. 
and and the sinker is good, and he, I think he could even throw the sinker a little bit less. I mean, because he's just, he's really in love with it. Well, and he has but, three secondary pitches that he could really shade yeah. some of his usage to. I I agree with you that the stuff is the, the 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 pieces are there, but like you said, right now they're adding up to not not near what you would expect the the their individual value should be. Yeah, I like I like Kyle Gibson. No, I I, I agree there that uh, you know this twenty seven year old it could be kind of a late bloomer because he was. You maybe maybe not a blue chip prospect if you if you say a guy has to maybe be top twenty uh, in those lists top one hundred lists to be a blue chipper then he falls just outside of that but he's the next level there he was he was in the thirties to sixties range of the prospect lists for years uh, you know as as a guy coming out of Missouri so I, I still hold out some hope for him that was going to be the guy I was going to pick so I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it and yeah I did I did clown them it's a better rotation than last year because they've made small moves to keep improving. It. You know, everyone laughed when they signed Hughes last year. That worked. They probably laughed again when they signed Santana. What are you doing with the, this older guy? No, they're just they're just getting pieces to have a rotation that they can rely on, so they don't have to bring up all their young guys and just expire young arms. They've got guys that they can bank on. You can bank on Hughes, Santana, Nolasco, and even I think Tommy Malone. I think you can bank on those four to really give you innings. And I think even Gibson, you can at least keep putting him out there. He wasn't great last year, but he didn't kill a ball club. Uh, so yeah, you're right. The rotation has definitely improved. It deserved a little bit more credit than than my joke gave it. Uh, but I want to shift back to the the hitting for a couple questions here. I mentioned Danny Santana. He's a hot pick because he he has shortstop eligibility and he did well last year. But he had a 405 BABIP. What are you doing with this guy? Because the numbers are appealing. Even if you regress the BABIP and you say, okay, that, that's coming way, way, way down, and he's going to hit, I don't know, 270 instead, you're still talking about some decent pop and some good speed from a shortstop eligible guy. So do you think he's completely worthless, or, or uh, where are you on him? Because it's really divisive. Some folks are saying run completely away. Other folks are jumping on him way too early, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> that. I, I would say he's like an only guy, uh, an AL only guy, because then you can say, well, even if he's terrible, they'll probably run him out there every year. But there's a little bit of risk there, even because this guy Jorge Polanco, mm-hmm. you know, I you know a I, legit prospect. He he could hit the MLB this year, and we well, did last year, didn't he? I mean, for very briefly, yeah. but he, but he was at least they at least brought him up to let him taste. Oh, that's right, eight plate appearances. T- yeah. Taste the clubhouse a little bit, see what it's like. I think he's knocking on the door, man. I mean, he's he had 157 plate appearances in in Double A. That's not a lot, but uh, let's say you're 200 plate appearances into the season, and Darian Santana doesn't have a 300 on base percentage. <laughs> very possible. And, and he's not playing defense well at short because they already moved him off the position once. Exactly. Right. So all of a sudden you're getting a guy who's, yeah, maybe he's running a little bit, but he's maybe he's basically Alexi Casillas again. Oof, you don't want that. And you got Alexi Casillas to short, and then you got Jorge Polanco, 200 play appearances, so nice, 400 play appearances into Double A, and he's got a 300 batting average, and you know same he's speed. got his walks up, same speed, and they like his defense better at short. I mean that. Then all of a sudden you're talking about. Um, Danny Santana not being a good bet, even as a sort of 
uh, hacking mass type player. <laughs> yeah, no, there, there's your downside, folks, because now he's not like hacking mass where you need the crappy guys that go out there all the time. Ricky Nolasco was probably a gem in that in that format last year because uh, he pitched a crap ton of innings and they were crappy. But no, that <laughs> I, I like that. That's probably not going to happen. That's the vast downside. But I think people need to entertain it a little bit more than they are right now because they're getting a little bit drunk on the numbers because they see 430 plate appearances and they're like, well, that that's a pretty decent sample. And it is, but it's 405 BABIP. That, that's going to regress like so crazy. He doesn't walk. Um, you know, all of a sudden, like you said, he's not like a zero pop-up guy. You know, he's not like a one of these crazy Joey Votto. No, he's he's got he's got a ten percent infield fly rate there. It's, yeah, he doesn't just beat the ball on the ground and use his speed. He seems to try to sell out for some pop every once in a while. Um, and you know, I don't know if he's going to hit seven triples in a hundred games again either. So, I'd be nervous about that guy for sure. I, I had him pretty yeah. low. I had him 18th among shortstops, and I was definitely a low guy on the total pole. Now that it only it only spanned from 13 to 18, uh, so we didn't go that far uh, from top to bottom as a group. But I was the low end on him. Yeah, I, I think you know, I, I I think Steamer has some of this baked in with the 511 plate appearances. That's not going all out. The fans are saying 640. Yeah. So if you, if you kind of use Steamer, you're probably in good shape. It's not. It's not asking much. It's a 314 BABIP, 261 batting average, 19 stolen bases. Those are the types of things that will probably be around 18th, could be a low-end um, middle infielder. But, I mean, I just doubt you'll end up with him then. You know, yeah. I think you, you'll, you'll be reasonable and everybody else will go by him and you'll get, you know, J.J. Hardy or something. Next up is Joe Maurer. Is he, um, and I, I believe Colette's been using this one a lot, uh, is he just James Loney now? At first, now that he has first base only eligibility? Is that what we're dealing with here? Or do you still see some upside to kind of get back? You know, because Loney's now had two straight years of 290, 299, 13, and nine homers. You know, solid stuff. But uh, what, what, is that Mauer now, or can he still hit the 320, 330 type? Well, there's, there's, I mean, he's very close to Loney esque. But the, the, the thing that separates them, I think, is that Mauer hasn't had the same platoon splits. So. Loney's been has had one foot in the platoon bin pretty for a while for a while now, and I think that means that I'm not looking at his splits right now, but I think that means that probably some of his overall numbers are are depressed either by being taken out of games or being platoon for or or just playing poorly against lefties. Maurer has the craziest spray charts, and he'll take the ball anywhere, anywhere, anytime. I doubt he. You know, I'm going to look up his splits now just so I don't say something stupid, but you know I I doubt that he has. Um, you know, much of a platoon split. He sputtered a little bit last year. They 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 split up last year, where he had about a hundred and ten point uh, deal there. He was down. I, yeah. I think it was his worst was, year against lefties. Yeah, second second worst year of his of his career. But career one hundred and five weighted runs created plus um, against lefties. Um, you know, still has a three thirty five BABIP against lefties. Uh, still has a two ninety four batting average against lefties. So you know, I think. Uh, He's at least Loney plus, but, um, you know, let me just look real quick. Uh, Loney against lefties, I'm sure it's worse. Um, yeah, I think it's got to be worse. Yeah, 81 career uh, WRC plus, which is, that was one of Lo uh, Maurer's worst numbers. Uh, 256 batting average. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so no good. He's like Loney, he's like Loney except he can do it against both So hands. Loney plus, okay, that, that that's fair then. Um, 
So that's that's more likely to end up in a 300 plus batting average because if Loney could do what he could do against both hands, he probably would be a 300 batting average. So if you yeah, I think I think I, I think that the the steamer 283 is a little bit rough on him. I mean, this is a guy who's who's proven his batting average on balls in play. Absolutely. No, that, that that's fair. I, I was wanting to hear some hope about uh, pushing that batting average back up because I always liked Joe Mauer, the player. Um, but now that he's first base only, it's like, woof, a corner infielder only. Uh, that is how I'd want to use him at this point. I definitely wouldn't want him to be my primary first baseman, not even an AL only. Um, you'd have to have a, you'd have a, you have to have like a Hardy S shortstop, and you have to get a bounce back from Hardy. Honestly, you oh. have to have power from someplace else to, to make up for it. And that's that's the one thing I do I don't like about taking these weird players um, that they give you weird stats from positions you don't expect, just because that means you kind of have to get. You have to kind of do that in other places on your team then too. Exactly. And that yeah, that's what makes it tough because you you better get that guaranteed power elsewhere or else you're just gonna be uh deficient for sure. All right, last question about them re- refers to the baby baby twins here. And uh just kind of curious which one of these do you think is gonna come through soonest to kind of do something of fantasy note? And that's By- Byron Buxton. Miguel Sano, Eddie Rosario, and I guess you could throw uh, Hosmeo Pinto in there, although he's, you know, he's a good level down from them and has has more experience, actually probably going to make the team as the backup catcher. So actually, let's throw him out. Let's go with the three that haven't really done anything yet. Buxton, Sano, Rosario, who's going to make the first impact, and is it going to be this year? I don't believe in Eddie Rosario at all. Okay. I mean, I don't even believe he exists. So, uh... <laughs> Peace out, Eddie Rosario. You're done. <laughs> and, and and by uh, the way, I, I don't want anyone to think that I had him on the, the level of the other two. Oh, yeah, yeah, just yeah. that he was a prospect, you know, kind of a bottom ten guy. Those uh, other two I, are top ten. You know, they're top two guys. I was convinced by a scout we'd both know <clears throat> about his hands, um, that his hands are just – all over the place and not going to lead to good contact rates and so on and so forth. I'm glad, so, I'm glad I passed on him in my 50, but, uh, 50 round drafting. <laughs> I almost took him thinking maybe he get, comes up that I'm glad I passed. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, the Buxton and Sonoma are the two that are on the, on the level. I just think that, um, you know, Buxton, it was such a lost year. I think he just, he's behind Sonoma now just, just by the fact that he's, that he just didn't really play double A last year. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that uh, Sano is going to be, uh, you know, Sano has 275 player or 270 plus player appearances on him in double A and, you know, should be, you know, I think playing regularly in double A longer than Buxton. And, and I think he'll be ready for, I, you know, I could see a July call up if everything, if his elbow is fine. But you know, I think a, a midseason call up, like let's say, and this is not too crazy. Let's say that the some of the pitchers click for the Twins, mm-hmm. and they're 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 doing a little bit better than their projections, um, and they're hanging around. They're hanging around. Then I think you know, Sano in August or or July, you know, after the Super Two deadline is up. He's shown he's healthy. He's raking again. Maybe he's even improved his strikeout rate a little bit. You know, they'll have, and then maybe they'll know something a little bit more about either Plouffe regressed or Plouffe can play in the outfield Mm -hmm. or, um, or Vargas, you know, isn't impressing and, 
you know, Plouffe moves there, or Sonoma moves there. So I think, you know, they'll know. I think July is – obviously, Buxton has more of a, a, a hole waiting for him, and that Hicks is probably their projected starting center fielder. But, you know, I just think that uh, he's just so far behind. They have to, He has to show he's healthy in, in more body parts, I almost feel like. And then he – He's two hundred some odd plate appearances behind a double A. Yeah, that that that's the thing. I, I don't know if you people shouldn't have gone to the well with with Buxton last year. Even even before hindsight, I thought it was crazy that he was being drafted, and they really don't need to go back to the well again this year in, in some of these mixed leagues. You know, any league that he should be drafted in right now, he's already on a team. You know, if it's like a keeper league or whatever the case is. So back off of the baby twins right now. But if you're going to take a gamble on one in in the deep AL sense uh, for a redraft league, it would be Sano. I agree with you there. That's going to wrap us up uh, for the for the AL Central and this episode 195. If you want to reach us on Twitter, it's at Eno Saris. That's E-N-O-S-A-R-R-I-S or at Sporer. Uh, please rate and review the podcast in iTunes. We'll be back in just a couple of days to talk some NL West. Eno, I'll talk to you then. Yes, and uh, look for news uh, before the end of the week now, on our site. Now, later. Okay, I'll talk to, I'll talk to you later. <laughs>